Daniel chapter 7 tonight. Daniel chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the chronology of God's kingdom, the coronation of the king of kings, and then the character of his kingdom tonight. Let me start out by saying this. When I was a younger Christian and I was even early in my ministry, I would study books like Daniel and Revelation and I would get caught up in the minutia of the prophecies of the nations and the minutia of things like the identity of the Antichrist and all of those things. And I'm not saying that those are unimportant. If they're in the Word of God, we should study them as far as God gives us the ability to know what we can know. But too often, I know for myself, we can get caught up in all the things about what's going to happen on the earth and with the nations of the world and who is the Antichrist and how long is this and all of that, and we're missing the most important figure in prophecy, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever study prophecy or study books like Daniel or Revelation and not keep Jesus Christ at the very center of your study and your worship and your time in his word. Because ultimately, that's who it's all about. The Antichrist is going to rule for a couple of years. Our Lord is going to rule an eternal kingdom. And so we need to make sure that we don't spend so much time on the things that really in eternity aren't going to matter and make sure that we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's who really matters. And so when we come to even a chapter like Daniel chapter 7, there's so much that we could get caught up on tonight, but I want to bring it always back to Jesus in some way. Notice chapter 7, in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream filled with visions while he was lying on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream in summary fashion, and God was giving him insight into the future of the world. He said, I was watching in my vision during the night as four winds of the sky were stirring up the great sea. The great sea is being stirred up. What is it a picture of? It is a picture of universal chaos. It is a picture of the world. The Bible says the wicked is like the surging sea. They are never at rest. They are always in a state of disquietness, never settled at all. This is the world, right? And this is the way it is, and this is what Daniel sees. And notice he sees four large beasts coming out from the sea, different from one another. Now, we've talked about each of these kingdoms, and you can find out what these kingdoms are, you know, later on. But if you go back a couple chapters, and even here, you find out that the first beast is Babylon. The second beast is Medo-Persia Empire. The third beast is Greece. 
The fourth beast is Rome, but there's also another beast that Daniel sees, which is sort of the final form of world empires yet to come, that one being ruled over by whom the Bible calls the little horn or the Antichrist, as we know him from the book of Revelation. What I want us to see then, first of all, is the chronology of God's kingdom. You see, God is telling Daniel, and it's really a message of hope, that God is not done with his people. God has a future plan for his people, and God has a future plan for this earth, but time has to pass. And kingdoms are going to come and go on the earth. There's always going to be different superpowers, different, different kingdoms that rule the world as we know it. And they're going to rise for a while, and then they're going to disintegrate. And they may still exist as a nation, as a people. Take, for example, even in our lifetime, the United Kingdom used to be that they said that the sun never set on the British Empire. And at one time, the British Empire ruled the world. Well, the Great Britain still exists, but it doesn't exist as the one who rules the world anymore. So the Bible says this is what's going to happen. And over history, one of the things that's going to mark the nations of the world is this restlessness always vying for power and, and prominence and prestige and all of that. That's just, that's always the way sinful men are going to act on the earth. And isn't it interesting, too, that God chooses to describe the world rulers down through history as beasts? I think that gives us a clue as to how God thinks about these world kingdoms, that they act like beasts. They run roughshod over their own people and other people. They're beastly in nature. And so all of these kingdoms that Daniel begins to describe in verse 3 down through verse 7 are going to come and go, but the kingdom of Christ will not come yet. Then in the chronology, we see that the kingdom of Christ will follow not only the kingdom of nations, but follow the final form of the kingdom of nations. Which notice, let's pick it up in verse 7. After these things, as I was watching in the night visions, a fourth beast appeared, one dreadful, terrible, and very strong. It had two large rows of iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and anything that was left, it trampled with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that came before it, and it had ten horns. And as I was contemplating the horns, horns being a symbol of power and authority, another horn, a small one, came up between them, and three of the former horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This horn had eyes resembling human eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things. Now, what Daniel is seeing here, again, is the kingdoms of the earth, beginning at Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And by the way, 
No world empire has ever had the empire that the Roman Empire did. The average age of all these other world empires is about 200 years. The Roman Empire lasted 1,500 years. And it is out of what the Bible teaches is a revived Roman Empire that this little horn is going to spring up out of obscurity. And he's going to be the final ruler of the final form of the kingdoms of the earth. By the way, one of the reasons why I don't focus very much on these nations and the kingdoms of the world is because Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40, 15, all the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket to God. Then in verse 17, he says, they are all insignificant to him. They're as if they are nothing. Now, not the people of the nations. God loves the world and gave his own son for the people of this world. But as far as how God views these kingdoms, if you will, ruled by those who are under the influence of the God of this world, Though the world may go, whoa, you know, when Egypt ruled the world, when Babylon ruled the world, when Greece, when, when the Roman Empire was there, it would seem like, oh, who could ever overthrow them? And, and how are, you know, is anybody ever going to? And God's like, they're nothing. In fact, you could put all the nations that have ever ruled the world together, and they still would be nothing compared to our God. Nothing. So God just sees all these kingdoms come and go and wants to see, as we talked about last week, his people just being consistent because he's constant through all the rises and falls of world empires. If you go over, though, to, towards the end of the chapter, I, I want to continue with the chronology here. The kingdom of Christ that is coming not only follows the kingdoms of this world one after the other, and the final form of the kingdoms of this world, which is this revived Roman Empire that's going to arise one day out of the one-time territory of the real Roman Empire, which covered a lot of ground. And it's also going to come after the final ruler of the final form of the kingdom of the world, which is the Antichrist himself. There's one more thing we need to look at tonight. A little sobering. But the kingdom of Christ also final, follows the final persecution of the final ruler of the kingdom of nation. Look with me in verse 20 of Daniel 7. I also wanted to know the meaning of the ten horns on its head and that the other horn which came up and before which three others fell. It, it would seem to me that there's going to come a point where there's going to be a power struggle and the one horn, the Antichrist, is going to sort of subdue or shove out the other horns or kings, if you will, and be the one world ruler. This was the horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things whose appearance was more formidable than the others. Now, notice the connection here with the time of the Antichrist. 
while I was watching, that horn began to wage war against the holy ones, the people of God, and notice, and was defeating them. Don't miss that. In fact, if you go down to verse 25, it says the Antichrist will speak words against the Most High. He will harass the holy ones, the people of God, continually. His intention will be to change times established by law, and they will be the people of God delivered into his hand for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. The last half of the Great Tribulation. Notice God, in his sovereignty, allows for a very short time the Antichrist to persecute and put to death the people of God. That's why I tell people that I believe that there will be many people saved during that seven-year tribulation as Jewish evangelists go out into the world and share the gospel after they have come to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But most of those who come to faith in Christ during that seven-year tribulation, when the church is gone, we have been raptured already, and we are up in heaven, and the Antichrist is ruling over the earth, they will be martyred for their faith. They will be put to death. For their faith. And this is all part of God's plan. No wonder then at the end, verse 28, after Daniel said, This is the end according to God, my thoughts troubled me greatly and the color drained from my face. Yeah. When you have, in a sense, the history of the world, the high points, all laid out before you, and you see even from God's perspective how it's going to end. It's great how it's going to end, but there's a lot that's going to happen before that, and a lot even to the people of God. But here's where you and I, we sung about Sunday, can take heart. God said, even though Satan is the God of this world, I'm still in control. And whatever I'm allowing Satan to do is ultimately going to bring me glory and going to be for the best of my people, the church. In fact, Jesus said, I'm so sovereign and I'm so in control and I'm so much stronger than Satan or all the other hosts of evil that, that come against me that I'm going to plant my church right in front of the doors of hell. And they're not going to be able to do anything about it. See, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to plant my church and I'm going to hide it way away from the forces of evil because, you know, they're so strong that, that my people aren't going to be able to handle it with me. No, he says, I'm planting my church right outside the very front door of the forces of hell and they're still not going to be able to do anything about it. That's our Jesus. It goes back to the message Sunday. We, we just have to realize that, yeah, there's going to be, as Jesus said, on this earth, hard times, difficult times, trial and tribulation. But he says, be of good courage to his people. I've overcome the world. And if I've overcome the world, he says, if you just keep following me, you'll overcome the world too. 
The nations of the world are going to come and go. The kingdoms of this world are going to come and go. The rulers of this world are going to come and go. But God is in control. Even when his people are going to be put to death and persecuted by the last final world ruler of the final form of the kingdoms of this world, the Antichrist himself. Because it's only going to be for a very short time. And then notice back in verse 22, then the judgment of God comes. Then until the ancient of days which I believe is a phrase describing, as we're going to see in a moment, God the Father arrived and judgment was rendered in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. You see, God's going to step in and go, enough. Satan, you're done. False prophet, you're done. Antichrist, you're done. Throwing you in the lake of fire, I'm taking over. And that's it. But it is important to know the chronology. Christ's kingdom is not going to come to this earth until the final form of the last kingdom of earth comes, who is ruled by the final world, world ruler of that final kingdom, who is that little horn that Daniel describes, the Antichrist. That we have to keep in mind. But until then, Jesus says, I'm going to be busy building my church right outside of hell's front door, and the gates of hell can't do anything about it. And that's why we as the church need to follow what Jesus told us to do, which is make disciples. This world is not going to be changed through law. This world is going to be changed by hearts changing. And that's our job as the church, not to change the laws, but to change people's hearts. In fact, we even see that from our own history. Most of you are not around. In fact, I don't think anybody here was probably around. But we remember it from our history books. Maybe you were really little, some of you, I don't know. Prohibition? Remember that fiasco? The government tried to legislate morality, and all it did was blow up in their face. Why? Because you, you can't do it that way. That's why as a church, we're not called to do, we're called to change people's hearts through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you see. Back to Daniel chapter 7. Then we see the coronation of the king. Let's go back to verse 8 and then flow into verse 9. As I was contemplating the horns, another horn, a small one, came up between them, and three of the former horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This horn had eyes resembling human eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things. But while I was watching, thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his throne seat. Now, notice something, too. In contrast to verse 2, where throughout history, the nations of the world were in this universal chaos. They were always surging. They were always restless. Heaven is calm. 
in contrast to the earthly chaos. Because like Nicole even pointed out, they're, they're up there worshiping God and they, they know he's got it. <laughs> there, there's no heavenly being up there in heaven, whether angelic or a saint who's already, you know, went up to be with the Lord, who's sitting there, you know, biting off their fingernails, wondering how all this is going to happen. Looking at God going, oh, I don't know. And why is God the Father described as the ancient of days or the, literally, the ancient one? Well, again, contrast. What are all these kingdoms? Kings. Oh, they come on the scene for a few years and then they pass. God's what? Always been. In fact, you know, let that, let the eternality of God settle a little bit. That'll make your brain start to hurt, right? Well, God has to have a beginning because everything has a beginning. There had to be something, right? No, God's just always been. Yeah, God has always been, and God will always be. Kingdoms come and go. What's a couple hundred years? What's even 1,500 years to God? Peter says a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He is the ancient of days. No wonder the nations are like a drop in the bucket to him. His attire was white like snow. The hair of his head, verse 9, was like lamb's wool. His throne was ablaze with fire and its wheels. Yeah, wheels around the throne were all aflame. I can't wait to see that. A river of fire was streaming forth and proceeding from his presence. And notice this, even at this point in history, many thousands were actively serving him, and many tens of thousands were literally standing ready, going, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? It's like they're at attention, like, God, just give me something to do. And this is a couple thousand years ago. The court to judge was convened and the books were opened. And we know from other places in the word of God that there are books. And Jesus said to his followers, rejoice that your name is found in the book of life. It needs to be written in the book of life. You see, and the only way we get our names written in the book of life is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. One day these books will be open. Then I kept watching. I saw this horn was speaking, but I was watching until the beast was killed, its body destroyed and thrown into a flaming fire. God is in control. No matter how horrific these beasts are, God takes care of them. As for the rest of the beasts, their ruling authority had already been removed, though they were permitted to go on living for a time and a season. I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, clouds in Scripture are frequently characteristic of the revelation of deity. Old Testament, what do you find? A cloud accompanying, if you will, the, the glory of God in the Old Testament. Jesus was caught up to heaven, the ascension, in a cloud. The Bible says he's going to come back in the clouds. 
and before the Ancient of Days was escorted before him, one like, notice, the Son of Man was approaching. Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was approaching the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Son of Man is the favorite title that Jesus used for himself while he was here on earth. In fact, in the Gospels, he uses the phrase Son of Man to describe himself 78 times. He is the heavenly man. Fully God, fully man. No one else like Jesus. And he went up to the Ancient of Days, verse 13, and was escorted before him, and to him was given ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him, and his authority is eternal, and it will not pass away, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. That gets into the character of the kingdom. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to go back to the coronation of the king. Notice the Son of Man goes up to God the Father and basically receives the kingdom from the Father. This is something that's taught in the gospel that Jesus is given that authority from God the Father. In fact, even in the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been what? Given to me. By who? God the Father. For the phrase Son of Man connected even with the coming of the Lord and the setting up of his kingdom, go to a very familiar passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the power of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man arriving on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet blast, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Son of Man coming in great power and glory with the clouds. Son of Man, Son of Man. That's why Jesus used the phrase Son of Man. That's not a lowly title. That's a title of power and authority. That's the one who's going to come and rule over the earth one day and rule over an eternal kingdom. And here Daniel sees the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days and receiving his eternal kingdom. He is going to be coronated the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he will receive that kingdom. Let's get to, for a few minutes, the character of his kingdom. Notice in verse 14, to him was given ruling authority. That means absolute dominion. You know what the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be? A dictatorship, and we're going to be okay with it. Nobody's going to say no anymore to Jesus Christ. Whatever Jesus wants, Jesus will get. He will rule with, as the Bible says, a rod of iron, absolute dominion. Second, he's going to be given honor. 
Why? Because throughout history, he's not been given the honor that he deserves. But the Bible says, and we sung about it, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Finally, one day, he will be acknowledged for who he really is. He will be given the honor that is due him alone. He's also given sovereignty, verse 14, which is a kingdom. A kingdom. Three other things, and then we'll wrap it up tonight. Notice the scope of his kingdom, verse 14. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him. It's worldwide. Those who are not destroyed in the battle of Armageddon and come into his earthly kingdom, it will be a worldwide kingdom. He will rule the entire earth. By the way, the word serve here in verse 14 means worship through service. See, the Bible always teaches that whatever we do for God, whether it's serve or anything else, it has to be done out of a foundation of worship. In other words, we've got to keep God in his proper place as we serve. And then notice the length of his kingdom. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will never, ever, ever be destroyed. All the other kingdoms of the earth come and go. Couple hundred years in power, all these different leaders. God's still on the throne all through it all. And though there's all this restlessness and chaos going on down through history, there's the Ancient of Days just seated on the throne. Heaven is calm. There's no angst. There's no worry because they know that God is sovereign and he rules and that his plan and purpose for this earth is going to happen just as he predicted it would and laid it out before Daniel. One other thing, though, that I've got to lead with and leave us with tonight, and that is the incredible display of amazing grace when it comes to this eternal kingdom. Because notice here, verse 18, the Holy Ones, the people of God of the Most High, notice, will receive the kingdom and will take possession of the kingdom forever and ever. Notice verse 22 at the end. Then the time came for the Holy Ones, the people of God, to take possession of the kingdom Verse 27, then the kingdom, authority, and greatness of the kingdoms of, uh, under all of heaven will be delivered to the people of the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. All authorities will serve and obey him. Don't miss what Daniel sees here, an incredible display of amazing grace. Jesus Christ comes to earth and puts down all rebellion against his authority. And he alone will set up this glorious kingdom on earth. And what's he do? 
He gives it to us and says, now I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I, I want you to rule and reign with me forever and ever. Now, why is this important? Well, since I can remember, way back even when I was in seminary, there was a false theology that was being taught, and it has even permeated into the church today. It's taught in many places. It's taught in some churches. It's taught in some seminaries and Bible college, and it's a very dangerous false theology. It is basically this, that you and I are charged by God to make the world right, to, to create a utopia on earth. That's our job. And then once everything is right, and that's why so many Christians, I think, even get caught up in fighting to make everything right on earth. And then it's up to us then once we get everybody in line to basically then call for Jesus to come and hand him over the earth as his kingdom. Not biblical. First of all, that's not what God calls us to do. And we are incapable of doing what only Jesus Christ can do. It's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says it's not up to us to try to create some utopia on earth. That's not going to happen. If there is going to be a utopia on earth, it's only going to happen when Jesus Christ puts down the nations of this earth and their rulers and gets rid of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and throws them into the lake of fire and then sets up his kingdom and even reconstructs the earth and then says to his people, come on, receive my kingdom. Wow. We don't deserve this eternal kingdom any more than we deserve salvation. And yet, and yet, that's our God. God's going to do it all, and then God's going to say, now come on in and enjoy this wonderful kingdom where I am king alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that we have a hope as we sit here, as we stand here tonight, God, that nations will come and go, rise and fall. Leaders will come on the world scene and leaders will go off the world scene, but you, the Ancient of Days, are always on your throne. You never leave it. It's never in jeopardy. No one's going to seize it from you. And everything that you have said that's going to happen on this earth is going to happen exactly as you said. And that means, too, God, that your people, whether it be the church or especially, Lord, through the tribulation time, the Jewish people, God, they're going to go through a tremendous persecution for belief in you. But, God, your eternal kingdom, we can't even compare, as Paul said, the suffering that we will go through here on earth, even as your people, compared to the eternal kingdom 
and glory that we're going to be a part of forever and ever and ever. It will never end. Oh, God, what a, what a glorious future we have. And so, God, I pray that we will not get caught up in the things that happen on this earth and allow them to captivate us and be our focus, but, God, may we always keep you at the very center of our lives and what we're focused on. May we always see you as the one seated on your throne. May we continually give you highest praises. God, thank you that you're going to allow us to rule and reign with you, not only for a thousand years here on this earth, but then in the new heavens and the new earth that you're going to create, you're going to allow us to rule and reign and serve and worship you, God, forever and ever and ever. God, may we be encouraged tonight to be strong in you and in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And just keep being the church that you are called, calling us to be, a church that is focused on making disciples and changing hearts through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the answer. That's the only thing that will change people's hearts and minds. That's the only thing that will transform them and give them a new perspective. Not law, but the gospel. And so, God, I pray tonight that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. May those of us who already believe God take that gospel out into this world and see you change one heart at a time, God. Help us to be your witnesses in this world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.